Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Patricia Messenger on C103. Well, very good morning to you. Not a bad uh, weather forecast. Uh, We should get mostly sunny spells uh, today, which is certainly good news after the bit of rain that we had yesterday. But enjoy the sunshine today because it looks like we're going to have a rather wet uh, Friday. And there'll be a lot of possibly heavy and squally showers tomorrow. So enjoy any sunshine that comes uh, along today. 1850-333-103. Bernie is taking your calls. Texting and WhatsApp is also available at 86 And of course, you can get your pet questions in anytime today because after half past 12, Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us answering all of your pet uh, questions. And there is, there is, if you call it a pet question, but there's an animal story making the paper today. And if you are afraid of spiders, be very careful if you're buying a newspaper today because there were some dreadful photographs of what happened to people when they were bitten by this what's called a false widow spider. And uh, spider experts now are coming out and warning of the dangers of this particular spider, especially after one woman had to be hospitalised. A lady by the name of Maria Condent from Ferrybank in Waterford. She ended up in the local university hospital after blisters formed uh, on the on her leg. Uh, and that was within minutes of being bitten by a spider that ran up the inside leg of her jeans. She actually saw the spider run up the inside leg of her jeans. She was speaking on a local radio station in Waterford and she said that when she went to the hospital, staff said it was the worst bite they had ever come across from what they're calling a false black widow. Now she said she wasn't aware at the time of how serious the infection could turn out to be and she actually ended up in hospital for six days because it turned out there was three bites in total. She thought she'd only been bitten once. So that's one story. And there's a photograph of Marie's leg. I I hope that that was at the height when it got as bad as it got. It really does look like a very, very severe infection. And then the other 
story of a spider bite is from Sligo where this was the, a little boy just a three year old little boy was left with a second degree infection after a spider bit him on the leg he was out walking in a field with his dad and he said to the dad that he thought he'd been stung by a nettle and it was very itchy and all of us that remember nettle stings as a child will know it can be very itchy so of course he was scratching and scratching and scratching and the next morning the parents took a look and it looked much worse it had started out at a small blister then that blister burst they thought it would just heal but it started to get bigger and bigger over the next couple of hours until a massive blister formed. Doctors believed he had suffered a spider bite and then he was given strong antibiotics and a steroid cream. Now luckily he didn't end up uh, in hospital and he is on the mend but the doctors believe he could actually be left with a scar. Now it's the noble false widow spider. It was first spotted in Ireland. The first sighting was in Bray in County Wicklow back in 1997 and this false widow spider originates from the Canary Islands and it also lives in abundance in Madeira. So I'm assuming people were bringing back these spiders in their suitcase. One thing when you're unpacking your suitcase you don't know what's going to fall out of the suitcase. You know when you've been packing clothes if you've had clothes in the wardrobe you're on your holidays in the Canaries having a great time and it's a dreaded night before and you're due to go home and you just sort of particularly like say folded flat t-shirts you just scoop them in one bundle and you know that bundle of t-shirts that you brought with you that you never wore we always bring so much clothes that we never wear and you take all that out you don't know could there be a spider in underneath could it have crept in in the middle of the night because you just pop it straight into your suitcase or else you might have the bag of dirty clothes in the corner in the bedroom and you scoop all that up and put it into your suitcase and you just don't know what's in the middle of it all so I'm assuming that's how it got back to this uh, country so that was the first sighting in 1997 but since then they've been found in major towns Uh, from Dublin where they occur in very large numbers in and around houses because if you think about it if they come from the Canary Islands and if they come from Madeira they're used to hot climates so I take it they'll try to head indoors to try and get a little bit of heat and try and recreate their natural environment in the Canaries but they've also been spotted in Wexford here in Cork there's been sightings in Galway and obviously in Sligo where this little boy uh, was now the lady in Waterford she because she saw the spider run up her trouser leg (laughs) I'm assuming tried to get the jeans off her as quick as possible before unfortunately the spider had bitten her uh, three times so she got a good look at the spider she described it as having white markings on its back now it's a big spider big it looks like a big hard back round circular you know round back it's and they have in the photograph I'm looking at from one of the papers today they have it beside a, a two euro coin. Now the body of the spider is in the size of a two euro coin. The body of the spider is probably the size of a five cent coin but when the legs are stretched out all eight legs are stretched out it certainly is the size of a two euro uh, coin. So she, the one she saw in Waterford, she said it had white markings on its back but experts say the false widow is not a particularly aggressive species and that's good to know and they'll usually bite only when they're squeezed between the skin and clothes which is obviously what happened when it ran up this poor woman's trouser leg or if they're on a bed sheet. So they get in under the bed and then you go in, you get in beside it and obviously 
could get pressed against you know the, the duvet cover and against your leg or some part of your body Ooh, and they decide to give a little bit of advice a, a, a bite experts are saying that the fall the noble false widow that's its correct title, is the only species of spider capable of delivering a medically significant bite in northern and western Europe. So we don't have to be worried about any other spiders, just this one. Black, it is black with these quite distinctive white markings on its back. The symptoms described by the victims that have come forward this week of confirmed bites include a very fast onset of moderate to intense pain around the bite site then that quickly expands to the whole limb. So I think you'll know pretty quickly if you've been bitten by one of these spiders. But if you are have a spider phobia, arachnophobia, then God help you, go keep, steer well clear of newspapers today because you won't, be, you won't be lying peacefully in your bed tonight, that's for sure. Everyone's going to be checking corners of bedrooms and there, there does seem to be a lot of spiders around, doesn't there? And it's usually in the summertime you'll see sort of very big ones for whatever reason. I think I'm going to be, I'm, I'm not, luckily and thankfully, I'm not afraid of spiders, but I think having spotted this one and read this story, I'm going to be looking a lot more at spiders and just keeping a close eye on them. So keep a look out for the noble false widow spider. If anybody has ever spotted one, would love to hear from you. 1850 Now coming up on the programme this morning, we'll stay actually on the topic of insects, but bees and wasps. If you ha- are having a problem with bees, hive of bees, or a wasp's nest, and you're looking for information, we have a bee expert joining us on the programme about 20 past 12 today. So if you have any question, get your questions in throughout the morning. But if you want more details on what to do, if you're having a problem with bees and wasps at this time of the year, our expert hopefully will have all the advice for us uh, later on. We're going to hear about a groundbreaking study which is hoping to find the effects of child sexual abuse on the other siblings in the family. And, you know, when I started reading about this study, they're looking for people to come forward to take part in the study. It's something in the past I have thought about before, because over the years I would have interviewed people who, God help them, had been sexually abused as children and the effect that it's had on them and, you know, how they fight tooth and nail to get on with their lives. And many of them do leave that awful trauma behind. They'll never forget it, but they learn how to live with it and they get on with their lives. And you think of somebody like uh, Louise O'Keefe from Dundera. What a remarkable woman uh, she, she is. But what happens to the other family members when there's a disclosure of child sexual abuse? Do you look back on your childhood and think, you know, if you were an older brother or an older sister, why didn't I see it? It was going on, particularly if it was going on in the house, if it was going on right under your nose or if you were sharing a class with somebody who subsequently comes out and and admits, you know, when I was in second class, I was being sexually abused and you'd been sitting beside that person. You know, a sibling, you were were with them in the classroom or in another class what you know, why didn't you see it? Did you notice that your brother or sister was acting differently? And I just wonder what kind of guilt do they carry through life because of this traumatic event that happened to another family member? So it's, it's those kind of things that are going to be looked at in the study. And we'll, sp- we'll speak with one of the lead authors of this study. But if you are a sibling of somebody who has come out subsequently to say they were sexually abused as a child 
you might be interested in taking part uh, in this study. We'll find out more about that. The government are set to reject the EU proposal to end daylight saving hours. Now, we've been talking about this quite a lot, particularly with our MEPs, uh, Sean Kelly and Deirdre Clune, I think two of the most, two of the MEPs who were very strong in their views about the need to end daylight saving hours. And certainly any time we mentioned it on the programme, we always got a very positive reaction from listeners with the majority of people. There'll always be some who were saying, no, leave it as it is. But the majority of people wanting to scrap the clock change and people wanting to stay in summertime. Nobody really with that against the clocks going forward for the for the to bring in summertime but when it comes to the end of October we will get people complaining saying oh no the dark evenings do we really need to this wouldn't it be great to have an extra hour of daylight in the evening time so whenever we did interviews about what the EU were proposing like we had a lot of very positive feedback and comments so therefore I was surprised when I heard the government come out and say that they are against the proposal and that we are not because it's going to be up to each individual country what they decide to, uh, to do. So we're going to discuss that on the programme today but I welcome your thoughts and comments. I know one of the reasons that the government are saying that they are so against it is that we can't have two different time zones existing on the island of Ireland and we already know that the UK we're assuming that Brexit will have happened by 2020, April of 2021 but we already know that the United Kingdom are saying no they want to continue with the daylight saving hours they do not want to scrap the clock changes it almost smacks off just because the EU has said it that the United Kingdom have decided well we're not going to do that so obviously if that happened and we went with the EU proposal to scrap daylight saving hours we would end up in this little country of ours this little island of Ireland having two different time zones and you can imagine the problems that would arise because of that so I can't understand where the government are coming to on this could we not pressurise the United Kingdom and get them to see that this is the way to go rather than us saying no that's it we're whatever the United Kingdom are doing we're going to have to do the same thing your thoughts welcomed on that please 1850 government policy to move the state pension age to 68 in less than 10 years we're asking the question today how do people feel about working longer do you think it's a good idea to be allowed to stay on working uh, longer because we know there are a cohort of people who never wanted to give up work. Were you one of those? Are you retired? And would you preferred to have stayed on but you had no choice? You either had to retire at 65 or 66 is when the pension age is paid now. And there is that, I think, a ludicrous anomaly where in some cases workers have to leave the job at 65 and then they have to sign on for job seekers for a year and then they don't pick up their state pension for a year. That's a crazy situation and I'm assuming they're going to have to change that, that that's not going to happen when workers are not going to be allowed to get their state pension until 68. I'm assuming that workers will be allowed to work until they're 68. Would you prefer to work longer and is that 68 going to go even higher? Will we eventually see a situation where workers will be 75 and over before they ever see a state pension and we know the reason for it. We're going to have a crisis in pensions in the coming years because we have an ageing population. But your thoughts on working longer, either for somebody who's working at the moment 
or somebody who's already retired didn't want to retire would prefer to have stayed on working but didn't have a choice and because it's Thursday a member from Garda Shia will join us for a Crime Files so a lot to get through your thoughts and comments welcomed throughout the morning 1850 text WhatsApp 0862 103 103 uh, Mary's just sent in a lovely WhatsApp saying Hi Patricia isn't it marvellous to hear James Sugru's name mentioned with all of the top names in Port Rush and rightly so I am sure that all his hard work and determination will pay off well done and the best of luck to him it is a proud day from Mallow uh, Kind Regards says Mary I think a proud, I think the whole of Cork is backing uh, James Sugru of course it's underway now the first round of the Open at Royal Port rush about half past six this morning and of course James Suglu is out in the first match and I've just seen this was tweeted uh, on the Golf Channel 38 minutes ago among eight golfers tied for the lead and there's our own James Sugru's name is Derek Clark is at the top uh, followed by James Sugru there's another amateur as well an American Brandon Wu W-U yeah, he's also on a two under but he's there yeah he's up, he's up there and of course they're on the both Darren Clark and uh, James are through 12 on two under and that young amateur Brendan Wu he's on the ninth after the ninth hole he is on uh, two uh, under as well so yeah we'll, we'll do our best throughout the morning to keep a close eye for the next hour or two that he'll be out on the course but it's terrific it's absolutely terrific buckets and buckets of of a look to a young James. Now, some of your texts, and this is on the daylight saving hours. I Patricia, read daylights, read time change and the fact that the government are using the argument that we can't have two time zones on our island. There's already a time difference, says Jerry, uh, with Northern Ireland. It's 2019 here. It's still 1690 in that country, i.e. Northern Ireland, says uh, Jared. And Dennis, who signs his text, Angry Dennis, says... The United States of America, Russia, Canada, Australia, Mexico, Spain and many, many other countries have multiple time zones and they manage just fine. Is it Ireland? Are we just too stupid to be able to follow two different clocks? I thought we were a sovereign country, able to decide things for ourselves, not just follow the United Kingdom because they want to keep daylight saving times just despite the EU. Kind regards, that sounds angry, uh, Dennis. And I, I've i never quite looked into, but I, but I will. I'll try and spend some time this afternoon doing it as to what are the exact reasons why the United Kingdom wants to to keep daylight saving hours. I, I have a funny feeling that Dennis is right. It's always been my thought as well. It's almost like out of spite just because the EU are saying that they want to do something else. Anything the EU, I'd say, would suggest the United Kingdom are going to say we're going to do the opposite particularly somebody like Boris Johnson so I'll, I'll try and find out what are their arguments because there's very few arguments for keeping daylight saving hours it came in during a very different era it came in during the war uh, when we didn't have the amount of electricity that we have today when they had to save on energy when they needed to get work done uh, in the morning time and farmers in particular were all in favour they needed to get work done and they needed light in the morning but that's all gone now I mean you look at a milking parlour it's it's floodlit they don't need to have to have rely on daylight anymore there's you know 
technology has come so far in the 100 years since we started putting the clocks back. 1850-333-103. We will be returning to this issue on the programme today. We're going to take a break and coming back with this study, hoping to find out the effects of child sexual abuse on siblings. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Okay, and we are trying to keep an eye on the open at uh, Royal Portrush and in particular just to keep an eye on young James Suguru from Mallow. I'm just being told two golfers have gone three under. So that puts uh, James with that other group in still on two under and uh, holding that second uh, position. But two golfers have gone three under. 1850-333-103. Brothers and sisters of children who experienced child sexual abuse are to be part of a groundbreaking national study by academics. Siblings have been described as the hidden group of child sexual abuse because very little is known about them. The study has been co-led by Dr Rosaline McIlvany at Dublin City University and uh, I'm delighted to say that Rosaline joins me on the programme. Good morning to you Rosaline. Good morning, thank you for having uh, well, me on. Well, you're, you're very welcome. Why do you believe siblings of a victim of child sexual abuse find it so difficult to cope? Well, I suppose, first of all, to say that it's really only probably in the last 20 years that attention has been focused on how, you know, how siblings are impacted by things that happen in a family. So in the case of sexual abuse, as, as in case, indeed in relation to other issues, you know, an individual is sexually abused, but they're an individual in a family. And so what happens to one individual has an impact on other people in the family. And and I suppose what we're trying to do is highlight that there's been very little attention paid to the impact on the wider family. We have a lot of research on the individual themselves and how they've been impacted. We have, a you know, some small pieces of research on the impact on parents, but we have very, very little on... Uh, impact on siblings and sibling relationships are you know actually the most long-lasting relationships for any individual in the, across their lifespan um, more so than relationships with parents when you think about it. Yeah and the focus and, and I suppose rightly so has a tendency to go on the person who was who was abused course, but, but you're right it's the siblings then get neglected almost. Yeah and, and I mean when you think about particularly individuals who are really impacted by sexual abuse, who experience a lot of psychological difficulties as a result of the abuse, sometimes their main supports in their lives are their siblings. And that, you know, that has an impact on the sibling. Um, sometimes siblings talk about feeling guilty about, you know, why, why was my sibling abused and not me? Mm. You know, that kind of survivor mm. guilt idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's, there's a, a sense of helplessness as they're trying to maybe get help for their sibling. And, you know, it can be very difficult to access services. It can be difficult to get the right kind of help. Sometimes siblings feel a sense of responsibility on behalf of their parents, particularly as parents age. So when you have a, an individual who has been sexually abused as a child and they're, as they're getting older, their parents are getting older, maybe their parents are very worried about them and very concerned about getting them the right help. And the sibling is sometimes the person who tries to be a buffer between the parents and the individual and tries to look after their sibling as their parents are getting older to, to kind of protect their parents from worrying too much. And, so and, we, all, and we all know that figure of one in four, uh, Rosine, who've experienced sexual abuse. That means there's a lot of siblings out there. Exactly. And when you think about the average size of a family in Ireland, particularly if we're looking at adult populations, um, you know, we're talking about a lot of people who, who may have been impacted. I mean, I, I'm always kind of keen to stress that sexual abuse affects people in very different ways. Mm. 
you know, we might know a little bit about one group of people and we have to be very careful. And I'm always conscious when people are listening to the radio because, you know, I've had people contact me this week, you know, talk about their experiences. And sometimes people can connect with what I'm saying and sometimes people have a very different story. And that's why we're trying to do this kind of large scale story or a survey so that we can capture as many different experiences as we can and get a sense of the diversity and how different it can be for different people, depending on different, uh, different circumstances. And um, whether the abuse happened within the family or outside, do you believe so, the impact on siblings is still the same? It's, it's well, the likelihood is, is, it, is that it's different because, um, <clears throat> I mean, I suppose on the one hand, we have abuse that happens within a family and outside a family, but actually most people are abused by someone they know. Mm. And so therefore, that person is probably known to the sibling as well. So we have a situation, for instance, where maybe a sibling had a very good relationship with the person who abused their brother or sister. Then they find out, in adulthood very often, they find out that this person has abused their sibling. And that really turns on its head their relationship with that person. They may have difficulty believing that it happened. They may have difficulty kind of, you know, making sense of it. But how could this person who I like, who I love, who maybe was really good to me as a child, who I have a really good relationship with, and now I have to face the reality that this person abused my sibling. Um, so it, it can impact in that way because, as I said, very often the sibling was also known to the person who, who perpetrated the abuse. But, Rosalind, can relationships sometimes improve after a disclosure? Because I was thinking, as you know, the sibling may have a better understanding of why a person acted differently. That's right, and, and we have found that in some, we have done some small studies. Um, <clears throat> Elaine Crabtree did a study two years ago interviewing a small group of siblings through one in four of the organisation. They were providing support to siblings, and there are collaborators on this study. And Elaine found that in some instances, you know, exactly what you're saying there, that, you know, people may have found their sibling difficult or, you know, troublesome or, you know, didn't understand why they were behaving in the way they did. And then when they found out that they had been abused, it kind of made sense mm. and it actually brought them closer together. And I think even the, you know, the act of confiding in a sibling um, that one has been abused can actually bring them closer. W- one of the things that I've been struck by is, is in some of the people we've approached about this study is the extent to which people haven't told their siblings. So there's actually a lot of families out there where sexual abuse has happened and the siblings don't know about it. Um, I, I always kind of, when I'm giving talks about sexual abuse, I always try and remind people of this, that it is such a hidden issue. Yeah. That even now, even though we talk about it on the radio, even though people are much more aware that sexual abuse happens, it's still really difficult for people to tell and to talk about it. And therefore, if you look around you in your group, as you say, one in four, if you look around in your network and all the people you know, I mean, what's the likelihood that there are people in your network who have been abused and haven't been able to say it? And so that happens in families as well. Yeah, and I I remember interviewing a woman many years ago who had been um, sexually abused by by her father. And when she finally uh, disclosed, and it was only when she decided to tell someone, it turned out both of her sisters had been abused and then two other sisters hadn't been abused and I remember there was a huge divide in the family it was a dreadful situation oh, but but yeah. but she 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 was unaware that the other sisters were being abused at the same time yeah. you know yeah. and sometimes you hear old, older siblings talk about um, you know I kind of put up with it because at least it kept him away from my younger yeah, siblings yeah, yeah. and then to discover in adulthood yeah. that those younger siblings were abused as well shocking shocking now what we're trying to do in our survey 
we're, we're specifically trying to target siblings who haven't been abused themselves. Okay. So it's important to stress that. We're really keen to get as many people as possible to, to um, fill out this questionnaire. But if you've been abused yourself, um, we, we would prefer if you didn't fill it out because that's, you know, that's more complicated, obviously, because if you have had the experience yourself and you're a sibling of someone who's been abused, that's a different kind of experience than what we're trying to capture here. So of course, it's, it's very important, but it's different from what we're studying. It's it's a questionnaire you, you're asking people to fill it's out. It's a questionnaire. It's online. It's available on, if, if people look at the Dublin City University website and put in my name, Rosalie McIlvany, they'll be able to get my website. And they, the link to the survey is on the website. We're on Twitter. We're trying to retweet as much as possible. Um, there's a link on the, on the tweet for the actual questionnaire. Um, we've sent out the posters to various libraries around the country and the libraries have been really helpful in terms of, um, you know, putting it up in their libraries, etc. So we're trying to kind of reach out to as many people as possible because we're conscious that an awful lot of people who have been sexually abused have never actually come forward to services. Mm. So there are also families where, you know, the abuse is known about. They've never gone for help. And this is an anonymous survey. So people can fill out this survey without being worried about being traced or them, you know, their identity being known to us as a research team. It's an anonymous survey. Um, Well done. Well done. Well, and how many do you hope will take part? Well, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of people out there in Ireland who who are a sibling. Um, If we could get at least 200, uh, we'd be happy. And when do you hope to publish? When would you hope to publish Um, results? If, if we can, if we can, get, if we can get a big rush now and get people to fill out the survey, we're hoping to wrap this up by the end of the summer, and then we would have our results in the autumn, which would be great. And the idea is that you, hopefully, please God, at the end of this, you get a better understanding of how to support yeah, these siblings yeah. and families. Yeah, and yeah. and and to get an idea of you know what is it like for siblings and what kind of support would help them because of course it helps the siblings, but it also helps the individual who's been abused themselves. If we can kind of take care of the wider network and if we can think about what's the best way to do that, how, how should our services be developing in a way that's responsive to the whole family and to the different people in the individual's network, um, maybe, maybe we'd be more effective in terms of being help, in helping people. Okay, listen, it's a terrific idea. We look forward to talking to you when the study is is complete. So Dublin City University, go to their website and then uh, look for you, Rosaline McIlvany. And And uh, people can give me a ring if they want or they can drop me an email, you know, any way they want to make contact is fine. Okay, and we have all of the details on file. Listen, Rosaline, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thanks, uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Dr. Rosaline McIlvany from Dublin City University. you were in that group that Rosalind has spoken about if you've had a brother or sister who was sexually abused as a child maybe you've never spoken to anybody about it and you'd like to take part these studies are important they're important for your own family but they're important for uh, other families and to help other families going forward 1850 Bernie's taking your calls text WhatsApp 0862 103 Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. And a caller has been on to us that there's hedge cutting going on on the Mallow to Kildarry Road that's on the main road and for motorists to please take care, slow it down. 
if you are uh, on the Mallow to Kildallery Road while that hedge cutting is underway. Now the government uh, is to reject EU plans to scrap the daylight saving time system amid fears that having two time zones on the island of Ireland could cause post-Brexit chaos. Joining me, MEP in waiting, Deirdre Clune, who is a strong advocate for the ending of daylight uh, saving time. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Hi, good morning. I'm, I'm unsure of how I introduce you. Are you, um, M- are you an MEP, MEP well, in waiting? Um, well, I was officially declared uh, elected at the count, but um, I have to, yes, MEP in waiting, I suppose. There is, okay. This is another unprecedented scenario that Brexit has thrown up and um, you know there, there is no there is no official title there is no have is, you been over no have you been it. over a parliament since the election yeah I've been over since the election yes I have well over because of the, uh, the new party previous MEPs of parliament was in place until uh, end of June so I have been over a number of times yes and um, uh, can go again there is facilities to you know if you want to go over access or use office space there but um, not to the same level as an MEP so as, as a, those that are currently part of the European Parliament so yes we're waiting for Brexit but it's a kind of it's a peculiar uh, yeah. it's, an, it's kind of a limbo we don't want Brexit to happen I know I know but, but, but at the same time you have to prepare for it yeah you're, you're in limbo are you being paid? Um, until the end of uh, July yes and this this month, and then there's a transition period where you're paid a portion until the end of the year. Yes, and then so, there'll be, will there be nothing as, then? As, form, as, as all former MEPs are, you know, I'm I, I'm not being paid because I'm a, an, an MEP in waiting. Oh, in the as a former, former MEP, MEP. So okay. In the same scenario as okay. people like Marion Harkin, Nessa Childers, Brian Hayes, and all those who are not um, who are just uh, former MEPs. Okay, um, mm-hmm. and and for the first time, we've got a female president of the European uh, Commission. Are you happy with the appointment of Ursula van der Leyen? Van der Leyen, yes, I am. Um, well, I have I suppose number one, yes, the female. Um, happy that she did. Uh, she was elected by the Parliament this week, because I think that's important. You know, if she hadn't been, that would have created more uncertainty, and um, you know, there would have had to be another proposal come forward. And there's no guarantee that that, that person would be uh, selected either. So, you know, it's important that we do have commission uh, president in place now, that we move on to the next phase where the member states will propose their commissioners. And as you know, Phil Hogan has been proposed by the by the Irish government and um, that the commissioners would, would they were going to have hearings. The individual commissioners will have hearings with the relevant committee of the parliament in the autumn. Uh, and that did mean the parliament may, may reject nominees that the that, that has happened previously and we will hopefully get over that process and what will ever, ever happen across the various the 28 member states and then um, end of October to 31st October the new commission will come in place early November and get going with their portfolios get their get their departments or their their the body of work that they have to do get that in place because there's, there is lots to do and But I, is Brexit so stalling everything? Is it just holding up everything? No, it's not. Well, it's, no. it's there all the time. It's just, it's, it's not a side issue. It is one of the issues. Okay. But the Parliament will go on and the committees, that the various committees will do their work. Um, uh, um, now, Brexit may, I, I don't know how the MAPs that are elected from the UK Parliament, they, they have, from the UK, they have their voting and they may use that to express their will as they're entitled to do. But no, Brexit, I would say, is not holding holding up issues. I mean, if you see climate change featured strongly in the speech mm. of the President-elect this week, um, the CAP, CAP, Common Agricultural 
the common agricultural policy, the reform of that is still on the agenda and will have to be um, agreed. It was agreed by position was agreed by the part by the committee of the agriculture uh, the agriculture committee of the parliament prior to the last election, but it has to be agreed by the full parliament. And will there's a new new people in place? Will they try to amend it or change it? Uh, but, but it's important to, to get that in place. The budget for the next tranche of funding post 2020 has to be agreed for seven years. Is that budget going to be without Brexit or not, without the UK contribution? Uh, all these things, I mean... A lot of work show, has to be done. A lot of show, the show goes on all the time. Yeah. A lot of work is going on. Yeah. I mean, migration is still on the agenda and that hasn't been finalised, not finalised, but I don't think it has been dealt with properly across the European Union. Some member states don't want to take migrants at all and they should be, my view, burdened not burden share, but that should be distributed based on, you know, GDP, population, ability to support migrants across Europe. But, some but not no. all countries not agree all, with that. Not okay. all countries do that. Let me, so all these things are going on all the time. That's just a snapshot. Yeah, OK. So let me bring you back to what mm-hmm. we, we invited you on the programme. Under EU proposals, it was suggested that daylight saving times would end by April 2021. We spoke with you and we also mm-hmm. spoke with uh, MEP Sean Kelly many, many occasions on this particular uh, topic. Are you surprised at the government's rejection of the plan? Um, I, I am. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not surprised really when you look at their um, submission, the submission of the, the report that they prepared in that the majority of people, well, the majority of respondents felt that they wanted to change it and that they wanted to scrap the clock changing and in fact asked them, do you want to stay in winter or summertime? They said stay in summertime. In other words, have longer, brighter evenings in the winter. Um, but the situation, when asked about the situation on the island of Ireland, I think 82% of respondents said they would like to remain the same as the island of Ireland. So um, that's why the government rejected. But I still think, you know, this is only one step on the way when the Parliament has approved it. The European Parliament wants uh, to have a clock change process um, have it scrapped. Uh, now, the point is all the member states, the 28 member states, and Ireland is one of them, have to put forward their position. The government is putting forward its position. But not every member state will have that position in that they, that some, some in Finland, want to, it's a very strong issue there. They want to um, end, it. end it completely. Austria and will it be up to each individual country as to what they do? Yes, it is. And this is all part of consultation, decision-making. Each individual country will come forward with their position and are asked to do it by 2020, April 2020. Uh, which is you know, not that is, far away. No, it's not. Less than a year. It's, yeah, less than a year. And then uh, the decision will be taken by qualified majority voting, which is what we call at least 55% of the member states have to support it, which means 28 member states, maybe 27 at that point, so maybe 14, say 14, 15 member states would have to support it. And of the, and that, that voting part, this has to represent 65% of the population. Now, that's what qualified majority is. So if that if that scenario happens, um, um, then we would be in the position, the government would be in the position where you'd have to accept it because you know not everything can will be. Is, is so the government will be forced to end it. Well, the Irish state would, yeah, but I, I mean, but you may find that there is so much uncertainty around if if whether we're in a post Brexit scenario at that stage or 
break the transition period. I think that's going to be that's the government's real concern. Yeah. Um, well, I, I thought I thought it was interesting that the government carried out an opinion poll, and when they because I know whenever we bring this topic up on the program, we get the vast majority of people will just have a small percentage of people who say 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 stay the same, but the vast majority of people want it scrapped. When the government did their opinion poll, sixty six percent of people favoured mm. scrapping uh, the clock changes. But then the second question was did people want two different time zones in Ireland? And that's where eight in ten people came out and said no yes. to the clock mm-hmm. change. But they're two very different questions. They're two very different questions. But on that, on the answer to the second question, the government have... Uh, Based their decision. The, 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 their decision to reject the, the, the proposal. And actually, it's interesting, in terms of um, scrapping the clock change, I just looked at the age profile and the older the old, older people in particular, well, older, over, over 55 were most definitely in favour of scrapping it and remaining on summertime. Oh, and I think... And that's, that's interesting. What, yeah, I think... Yeah. I think because no, no, really but, no, and a lot of our listeners, because this argument has been put forward that we don't want to have two different time zones uh, on the island of Ireland, a number of people are pointing out that in other countries there can be multiple time zones, you know, citing America, yeah. Russia, China, Russia, Australia, exactly. you know, lots of... And, and they manage. Why can't we manage? Well, it's, I suppose we have a particular, a peculiar um, border area, as we know, in Northern Ireland, where, or between the North and the South, where there's lots of activity goes on. But, I mean, I think that happens as well, like Portugal and Spain. Portugal and Ireland and UK are in one time zone, but yet and you go over the border to Spain, where they do a lot of business as well. Mm. But I do think this sensitivities around Brexit, that it is important um, that, that we would take this into consideration. Nonetheless, I mean, maybe the UK might decide... What if, say, for instance, a scenario happened three, four years down the road that all of Europe decided we're going to scrap the clock changes and remain on summertime? Well, then the UK would be outside, uh, outside, and, and be in their interest absolutely to coordinate with with their neighbours if they were doing business. Okay. With them. So right. There's a long way to go. Yeah, yeah, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not gone yet. It's, it's not, not gone, gone yet. yet. Okay. And just to say that, and this is just a, a step on the way. I mean, and this is European, how you get to 28 member states individually to come to a to, consensus so. or to come to an agreement it's okay. a process and this is part of the process Alright we'll leave it there Deirdre no doubt we'll talk again thank you for that Super. and uh, thanks thank you. thanks uh, thank for joining you. us because uh, Fine Gael MEP in waiting uh, Deirdre Clune 1850 the latest on the golf James Suguru is down to 13th place he's on one under at the 16th hole I always like to give credit where credit is due and a lovely text in from a listener saying uh, Patricia just want to say how many Mannerly. Dano's super value in Mallow, how mannerly the staff are. I come from Kenturk to do my shopping. Can, can I say how much of a well-presented shop it is with very well-mannered, helpful staff. Well done. And praise where praise is due, I'm sure. Everybody at Dano's and Super Value uh, will be delighted with that. Take a bow all. And I know they've been winning awards this year. They got the, they won the Super Value Store of the Year, didn't they, back in February? And then just this week, they also picked up another award. They won the Cuisine de France Presentation of Fresh Food Award. There was a lot of awards given out this week under, it was the checkout.ie. And there was a load of awards um, given out in all different uh, categories because I saw Scally's of Clonakilty which is another fantastic store they also pick up uh, picked up awards there as well but well done to everybody at Dano's Super Value in Mallow whatever you're doing you're doing it right so keep doing it according to one of our listeners now a lot of calls in about this time change and how the majority of people seem to want to scrap 
the clock changes and to keep us permanently in summertime. But that's not what the government are thinking at the moment. Some of your calls in, just let me give you some of the calls in. Uh, Patricia, hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, Surely your guest, Deirdre Clune and uh, Sean Kelly, the MEP for Ireland South for Fine Gael, particularly the two of them, they were the main advocates for this no more time change. Isn't it ironic that now that their party in government are going to reject it. Where's coherence there, says a uh, texter. And someone else says, Patricia, we have referendums for everything in this country. Could we not have one about changing the clocks? The United Kingdom didn't change to the euro and we did. So it wasn't a big deal. We don't have to do everything that the United Kingdom decide to do. How about having a referendum? How about asking the people? And when you look at any surveys that have been done to date, when you ask people, do they want to see the ending of the changing of the clocks? The majority of people, I know the government themselves said that they com- they conducted an opinion poll. It was part of their public consultation process and that showed that 66% of people favoured scrapping the clock. But 82 were against it when it would result in two different time zones in the in this country. So the majority of people, it seems, want to end daylight saving hours, want to keep us in summertime. But then when it's put to people, but how would you feel about having a different time zone, the South, than we would have in Northern Ireland? People are very much against that. And that's where the work and the problem seems to be. And that's where we either need to some people are saying, well, in other countries, they have different time zones and they get on, on with it. We either need to go down that road or we need to say, no, we need to do exactly what they're doing in the United Kingdom. If they're not going to change, then we're going to have to stick with that. Or we're going to try to persuade our nearest neighbours across the water for them to change as well. Now, Donny in Newmarket says the time change, would, would, he feels it wouldn't work in rural Ireland. He says in the middle of December, it'd be... 20 past nine in the morning before you'd have a daylight. But then the plus of that is you'd be an hour later in the afternoon, Tony, and you would still have uh, daylight. Now, Char- the Justice Minister, Charlie Flanagan, because it will be his department that will decide what way we go on this. He has acknowledged that many people favour ending the practice of seasonal clock changes. But he does say the proposal isn't as straightforward. And his main one is it would be profoundly serious if two different time zones were to exist on the island of Ireland. He says it would create significant unnecessary problems. I'd love a breakdown of what are the problems? What do they foresee? Now, for people on the border, I imagine you know, you'd be going across the border and it would be you know, an hour time difference. But does it make that much of a difference? You know, I'd, I'd love to know what are these significant unnecessary problems? I'd love them to list them for us so that we could really have a proper debate as to what it would be if we had two different time zones on the same country uh, on, in the same co- country uh, Business Lobby Group IBEC they raised their opposition to the EU plans during the consultation period their submission warned that it would disrupt business the aviation industry and shipping so that's where their their fears are coming from the Irish Farmers Association says some farmers with young families would support a change because that would ensure children walking and cycling to school in wintertime would do so in daylight. Now, Donny would object to that and say, no, it'll be darker in the morning, but it will be brighter in the evening when they're coming home. So at the moment, they might have it brighter in the morning, but it's darker in the evening when they're coming home. So you would just flip one over the other. But the Irish Farmers Organisation said others would view it as causing more disruption than it's worth. 
but they say that an assessment should be carried out prior to any fundamental change and rather than we've had the public consultation now do assessments actually you know trial it well not trial it but actually do the assessment to work out what are the pluses and the minuses. Tourism Ireland by the way, very much in favour of permanent summertime because that would give brighter evenings in the winter time and that obviously then would extend the tourist season but it says its primary concern is to ensure that Ireland's time zone doesn't differ from the United Kingdom so theirs comes with a but as well and I know with the brighter evenings extending the tourist season one of the reasons that MEP Sean Kelly whenever he used to join us and talk to us about about it he used to always say you know wearing his GAA hat and when he was president of the GAA he was a strong advocate back then for the ending of of daylight saving time because he was saying that the matches and training and the scheduling of matches really gets affected when the dark evenings come in. Now again, some will say, oh, well, maybe not so much now because there's flood lift, lit, lit pitches that weren't there many years ago. So we do get around it that way. But yeah, there very much seems to be for and against. But I thought it was interesting hearing from Deirdre Clune because I was of the view it was up to each individual country, but it is up to each individual country to decide what way they want to go. But then collectively, the EU will vote. So it could actually, it could still actually be forced on us yet, even if we do decide or the government decides it's not the route that they want to take only time will tell 1850 Mike was listening to our news bulletin where we were discussing hurling here we go again says Mike the same old nonsense with hurling coach John Mailer. if he's any cop on he would go all good hurling people in Cork want him out what do others think of that is his time up should he be leaving or are there many people out there still very much supportive of hurling coach John Mailer? 1850 103 lines open C103 Jobs Part-time staff are required for general factory work. That's for a blind manufacturing company in the McCroom area. In Chidani Island Lodge and Spa, they've got vacancies for a nighttime porter, a conference and banqueting manager. They're also looking for an assistant bar manager and a spa cleaner. Relief chef required for Amberley Home and Retirement Cottages. That's in Formoy. The applicant must be available to work weekends and weekdays. And fully qualified hairstylist and fully qualified beauty therapist required for Jesse's Hair and Beauty. That's in Bantry and in Conakilty. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Okay, some of your calls. Still getting texts in about the clocks and should we scrap the changing of the clocks? If the clocks are the only problem we have in Ireland... We have a very small problem, says a listener. Patricia says another texter, we have two different currencies on the island of Ireland. That logic doesn't stand up. And someone else says, Patricia, it doesn't matter what we think. The government don't listen to us. They only do what they want. Yeah, but as has been pointed out, pointed out to us, even if the government uh, decides that they don't want to scrap the clock changes, it could be forced on them by the EAU. Only time will tell. 1850 333 Government policy. Workers will not be entitled to claim a state pension until the age of 67, that's from 2021, and by 2028, workers will not be able 
eligible for their pension until they reach the age of 68. To discuss if people are happy with this, I'm joined by Sean Moynihan, CEO of Alone, a charity dedicated to helping older people age at home. Good morning to you, Sean. Morning. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Do you believe the majority of people want to retire at 65 or, or 66 as it is for the state pen- pension? People are happy to do that. Well, I think there's two reports out in the last year and both, one says around 25% of people want to work on and the other says around 30% want to work on. So what that means is around 70% of people actually do want to retire. And But I think it's, this issue is all about choice. Mm. And I think it's not forcing people to work on when either they may not want to work on or may not have the ability to work Because there are some people who absolutely hate the idea of giving up work one day. Absolutely. And that's great. And we all see wonderful examples uh, say, you know, of people who are well able to keep going, have skills, abilities that are of huge value still and want to keep contributing but the, 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 the evidence shows that that's not everybody and so this is about choice I think the thing we're concerned about is, is that in having a discussion about this issue especially through shall we say the, the, the recession and all these things the only thing that's been proposed is just upping the limit and I suppose that's really a bit too much of a blunt instrument some people their jobs may not be suitable to, to keep going other people want to retire. Other people's health may not be, 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 be as good. And for some people, when we don't retire people, what happens is, is we lose all that volunteering, all that support to family, mm. and all that other social contribution that older people made. So we just think it's a more, there's a bigger debate to be had than just, oh, we'll keep up in the age for everybody, regardless who they are, or where they are, or what they do. Yeah, Sheila, one of our listeners, says, Hi, Patricia, I think it's a bad idea idea to raise the pension age. Everyone isn't hale and hearty when they turn 60 and there then also are some older age pensioners who spend a lot of time and money on charities and communities and volunteering which is the point you are making as well that yeah. we could ultimately lose out uh, because of this. Absolutely and I mean look we all see there, there, there are wonderful people like I mean I remember last year wasn't it George W. Bush before or George the first George Bush before he passed away he did a parachute jump for his nice despair. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and there are exceptional people out there. But as that lady your caller or texter contributed is something like one in twenty people or sorry, one in five people at sixty five have frailty issues. Mm. Now it's great for the eighty percent who don't, but what about those twenty percent? If they're forced to work on, what's the consequences for their health? And if they have to retire, what's the com- if they have to retire without a pension, what's the consequences for their quality of life and how they live, even though they may have contributed for 40 years? I don't think that's what we're setting out to do. So this is why I think this takes a lot more conversation and a bit more subtlety than just up in the age, because at what stage will it be 70, 72? And do you know what I mean? And who, yeah, and I mean, while well, everyone accepts we have an ageing population, so spending on pensions has to be controlled. But as you say, this is just too blunt an instrument, this policy. This is it. And as I said, so for some people, the 20% who want to keep going on, 25%, what will happen is they'll keep paying taxes, contributing, high earners, all these are great things that people will do. And that will produce more tax and income. Then for other people who want to retire, how is that managed? The other thing is, is the numbers on this. Everybody says, you know, 
or pensions and you know they use you know they use all these dreadful languages right time bombs and everything else is but the point is is where are the figures on it where are the figures and why where's the justification that this is the way to do it and ultimately is is there are ways that we can do this in such a way that older people can have choices can continue to work or work part-time or job engineering and other people can retire and we can do we can do this at the end of the day is i don't think anybody wants to see a situation because where people are having to work at 68 70 72 because they're forced to, for economic reasons quasi of life reasons i mean that's a real big step backwards and and really not something we want to see yeah and we have this current situation that always seems ridiculous and we hear about it every now and again on the program we'll have somebody contact us who'll say they're being forced to retire on their 65th birthday but they can't collect their pension for another year and they have to go on job seekers well that's what's happening at the moment and it's it's a fudge in the system and and as you said at the top of the top of the, the piece there is is that um it's about to go to 68 so does that mean people are heading out to job seekers for two or three years? It's crazy. It's, yeah. it's, it's and, crazy. And I think what could happen, and the danger here of this blunt instrument is we produce an awful lot of very poor pensioners. Because what could happen is, in those interim years, you have to use up all your resources, your savings, and then you're literally living on the base pension. Which, look, you can live on, but if anything goes wrong, you know, it's two, two, 200 and... 40 euros if you've got 40 years of stamps now fine it's a week's money to change the fridge but what happens if your electrics needed to be done or you had a hole in your roof or your, your car car doesn't work anymore do you know so yeah all you need we, is something to go wrong wrong and your health or anything else is, and that's what we spend our life doing dealing with people who ultimately wear those small things they've done a lot of the right things in life but those small things go and happen because ageing is inevitable and ultimately the best outcome Larry makes the point and is interested in Sean's view on this if you force older people to stay working longer particularly those that might not be able to, able to do it that's going to lead to high levels of uh, stress you could actually end up making people sicker surely that's going to be a false economy Oh I, I, I think so I mean, you've got situations people where, where people if they have to keep going and they're not well enough to keep going what's that going to be, going to be like and you know it, it's it's not going to be helpful for 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 the economy, for the community, or for the older person themselves. And as I said, a lot of those people who may retire from a full time job, it's not that they just stop contributing; they contribute in different ways to the community. And that's maybe some of the the, the rhythm of life. There's an awful lot of people probably listening today, older people who are helping out with childcare, yeah, who are yeah. volunteering in their communities, who are doing meals on wheels, or driving mini mini buses for kids, and all those other things. Now they may be healthy enough to do that because it's three, but they may not be in a situation that they could hold down full time job anymore. Especially because some jobs obviously have a physical aspect to it, and as I said, there's plenty of healthy older people, well able and run ten k's, but ultimately that's not the journey for everybody. Okay, Michael says, uh, Patricia, the raising of the pension age is a very bad idea, particularly those of us who are farming are doing other physically challenging jobs. When you get to 66, you should be able to retire as they are just as they're just in many cases, as in some cases, you're simply not able to work on. Some can, I accept that. And there is a big difference between a desk job and somebody out doing a physical 
job. Also, it will slow down the passing on of farms to the next generation. That's from Michael. So I can see a lot of people very much against this notion of extending the age of uh, when you can receive the state pension. Just talking the state pension, front page of the Irish Independent today, leading with the headline, tax cuts back on the cards, but pensioners to lose out. I always hate when you see um, headlines like that. It's like it's putting one group of people against another group. Absolutely. I mean, I think if, if we're all, if you're old enough, you remember that, like, you know, the, the, the taxpayers of today are to pensioners tomorrow. And they, they, a lot of the people who are pensioners now have lived through the 70s and 80s when it was 70% tax mm. and contributed that. And that's what allowed us to build the country where other people are there. I think I, there's a personal opinion and we think that ultimately people really need services and supports and communities and, and a resilient community as much as, they, as much as we need tax cuts. And ultimately, as is, even all the people themselves, in a lot of cases, is, you know, it would be better that the A&E's work, the hospital work, the home health was there when you needed it as much as, you know, a couple of euros on the pension. OK, and of course, let alone you, you work to support uh, old, older people. Is loneliness still a huge problem, Sean? A huge, enormous problem. This, within the next two months, we'll top 2,000 volunteers who are visiting every week. We make hundreds of thousands of phone calls where older people ring us in and ring out. And ultimately, a third of older people live on their own. For us, the scale is so big. In the next five years, we'll go to 9,000 volunteers. Um, because unfortunately, a third of older people live around, and maybe a lot of what was in the community has moved online, shops have closed. And unfortunately, the people who provided company and support in the community now might have to be working because of the cost of living and the yeah. cost of housing. Yeah, and, and the very, and I'm assuming a lot of the volunteers are the very people we're talking about who would have retired but still want to contribute to the community. And they're the very people who, in the future, we may be forcing out to work. Absolutely. And, and I think that's the thing. And what I would say is that the community still wants to support other people and that's why we have a huge number of volunteers and increasing at 100 a month because people may not want to knock on a door down the road when they know somebody's been unwell or older or whatever but if they're trained and supported and linked up with that person and they know that there's the staff and training and support to back them up if we got too much then they will volunteer and ultimately as is, is we're tapping into that huge community spirit that is still there. Okay, we'll leave it there, Sean. Listen, thank you for that and thanks for talking to us. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye bye, bye bye. -bye. That is uh, Sean Moynihan, who is CEO of Alone, the charity dedicated to helping older people uh, age at home. Heidi says, Good morning, Patricia, on retirement. Uh, Patricia, uh, domestic engineers, or as it is, women who work in the home, they don't ever really retire. They continue to do housework and all that comes with us. And I don't know if you were with us yesterday, Heidi, we were actually did a piece on how much if you were to pay the homemaker who stays at home and it is, you are right, it is predominantly uh, women. But the person who works in the home, the unpaid jobs, the cooking, the cleaning, the childminding, the homework that has to be done, the laundry, bringing the family to and from by almost being like like a taxi. €44,000 is how much that job is actually worth. worth. But uh, it's not what they're actually getting paid. They're the unpaid workers uh, in the home, which you are right. When do they get to retire? 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 86 2103103 with a reminder to you that we are also looking for your pet questions because Jane 
our resident vet will be joining us after half past 12 today. But just let me stay on older people for a moment, seeing as we've just been talking to Sean in Alone. And I know that Alone do fantastic work and the, the volunteering that they, they do going around just to make sure that people are not alone. I mean, that's really what they do because loneliness is, the, 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 it's just, it's killing more people. Yeah, every year it's just it, I think it's did I read a stat that it can knock, if you're very lonely and suffering from loneliness it can take 10 years off somebody's life and it's just an awful way to end your days to think you've got nobody to call in and nobody to see you and that's why we have to support charities like Alone and we need to make sure that there's always volunteers available for them to continue the work that they're doing but if we go down the route of the government with everybody working more there won't be the same amount of volunteers and then I see in the paper today this is a study that's at, that has come out from the it's transportational research it's a, it's a journal study it showed that elderly people are happiest when they are literally in the driver's seat oh sorry no this this is a study from Tilda this is from Trinity College it's the Irish longitudinal study on ageing older adults prefer to drive themselves are to be driven by a partner or a spouse rather than being chauffeured around by other family members or by friends are having to use a, a taxi. The study that Tilda did was on research traffic psychology and behaviour and it revealed older people who still drive have better mental health, they have higher levels of social participation and social networks than those who have others doing the driving for them. The study revealed that men over the age of 50 are more likely to continue driving as they age compared to their female counterparts. Isn't that, I, I wonder what the reason for that is. Why, why do we, the women, decide to give up the driving? 70% of men over the age of 75 continue to drive compared with just 30% of women in the same age group. However, researchers found that older people who never learned to drive or who had stopped driving reported higher depression symptoms and loneliness as well as a lower quality of life. They had fewer social networks. They had lower rates of social participation compared to their peers who were able to drive. They also found that older men who had stopped driving and relied on public transport, they also reported higher levels of loneliness than women who had stopped driving. The project, one of the project managers said, driving allows a level of freedom and independence that is often not available with public transport and therefore it is hugely important for social engagement, mental health and well-being. Many people drive less frequently or stop driving as they get older but this can be a huge upheaval especially if its change is not made by choice. Early planning and the availability of suitable alternative means of transport are vital to facilitate that transition from driving to and not driving. Yeah, and I think if you give up driving and it's choice-based, it's fine. But the study is right. It's when it's not choice-based. And that's, when I was reading the, uh, reading about that study, I straight away thought of people who were forced to give up driving because of the need for cataract operations. And you can understand why because of that if somebody is told your cataracts are getting so bad or they know themselves when they're out driving that they're not seeing properly and they know that they're going to have to give up driving you can understand it's another one of the reasons why so many people get on the cataract bus and head from West Cork we know there's now one going from Hollow, um, other parts of Cork and head up to Belfast to have the cataract operation done hugely inconvenient to them 
a huge inconvenience to them but they do it and particularly if you're in a very rural area and you need that car to drive you know what the future is like for you you don't have a train or a bus or the Dart or the Lewis outside your door trying to get taxis can be expensive they might not always be available in your area so you know you've no choice you need to keep the eyesight clear enough so that you're able to drive so it's one of the, and I know it is one of the reasons when we've spoken to people who have gone in any of the cataract bus particularly the ones out of West Cork they'll say I need to drive I need to be able to drive I'm, you know, I'm either looking after myself I'm on my own or I'm looking after a loved one and I need to be able to uh, to drive so no surprise really from that study showing that elderly people are happiest when they're either behind the wheel themselves or they've been driven somewhere by a spouse. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 And it's time for our Guy the File. And this week it is Sergeant James O'Donovan, Crime Prevention Officer for the Cork West Garda Division, uh, joins us. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. And you start with looking for an appeal for witnesses to, firstly, burglary. Yes, um, this morning we're looking for uh, information in relation to two burglaries that took place on the 11th of July last in the Temple Martin area of Bandon. Um, these happened during the day. Unfortunately, the people were away from the house and we're asking for people to contact the Gardaí here in Bandon or in McCroom with any information that they might have in relation to suspicious activity, a strange car around the area. I have touched on it before, Patricia, that a lot of communities know the cars that are going through their own areas, look at the postman or a delivery van or um, even uh, people that are calling to neighbours and stuff. So you'd know a strange car in the area. And if they if they did notice anything on that day, the 11th of July, to contact us here. It happened during the day, as I said, between 9am and 5 o'clock in the evening. So again, contact Gardaí and McCroom. Uh, and also, you know, we still have wonderful community spirit uh, in this country. Some will say it's nosy neighbours, but everybody knows the people in the neighbourhood who are at work during the day will know when a house is empty. If you see somebody at a house and you know there's nobody at that house, you yes, should get, and get suspicious. I suppose we're very lucky for that community that we still have in, yeah. in, in the country and in rural Ireland in particular. And like, I suppose we're always very thankful of that assistance that we get. And in relation to that, we had another two burglaries there again in West Cork over the last number of weeks. But it was information that we had gathered from the people that rang us into the gas station here in Bandon and that we were able to follow a definite line of inquiries and we'll hopefully get a positive result out of that as well. And it is because the community know what their neighbours are doing and, oh, for argument's sake, a family up that road, they're away working, there should be no one there and they can ring us straight away and we yeah. can follow up on it. And we again, we would like to thank the people for that assistance all the time. Okay, well done. Now there was break-ins and property stolen in, is this car, into cars? Yes, uh, we're at it again, um, Patricia, I suppose. We've had two cars. Look, thankfully it's down, but um, a number of years ago the, the crime would have been fairly high, but a lot of work has been done in the area of crime prevention from the point of view of thefts from cars, but Last week, on the 11th of July, again, the same date as those two burglaries. Uh, they're not connected, however. We had two cars in the Dock Castle area of Kinsale broken into. And again, property was left visible in the back seat. Um, you're on the show listening to me with a number of years and my colleagues as well, asking people to not to leave property in the car when they're leaving the car in going for walks or in towns or in car parks because, unfortunately, there is an element out there that are targeting these cars. 
Again, there was property taken in these two cars, and we're asking for people that if they saw anyone suspicious around the Dock Castle area in uh, Kinsale on the 11th of July to contact the Gardaí in Kinsale or in Bendon. Actually, I was in a garage last week and I was sitting in the car waiting for my husband who went into the, into the shop. But I, you know the way you're, you're watching everything else that's going on on the forecourt. And I saw a woman pull up in her car and she filled up with petrol and then she went in to pay. But she left the windows open in her car and her phone was sitting up on the dashboard. Of the of the car, and yes. I was just thinking. Now I was there for the duration of the time, and she came out, and it was okay. But I was thinking, anyone could walk by and put the hand in, and the phone was gone. And it only takes a matter of seconds. Yeah. And unfortunately, Patricia, I suppose we're very uh, when we're on holidays and we're down in West Cork and North Cork and Kerry and all other places around the country, we seem to get into a kind of a, a relaxed mode. It's roasting hot weather. We leave the cars open. We go into the petrol station. Uh, it'll only take me a few minutes. But it only takes a few seconds for these opportunist criminals to see a phone, a wallet, a handbag. And look, we've seen instances above, uh, up the country and other, er- other areas where handbags have been taken out at traffic lights. Where yeah. people have stopped at a traffic light and they've come along and they've opened the car door. And, and it's gone. It's and gone. It's gone. And it's, and yeah, it, it's it takes... Seconds. seconds. Yeah. I suppose the same can be said. We've got to be careful with the warm weather, making sure windows are closed when we're heading heading out. When we were talking about those burglaries, the house has been empty. Yes. And uh, look, I suppose with the warm weather, I suppose we're very complacent with the point of view that there's there's, uh, there's people going away for down to shop for maybe refreshments or they're going out into the back and they're lying out the back and they're sunning themselves. And there's no precautions being taken for the front of the house there's windows open there's doors open there's a nice cool breeze going through the house this is again is an easy target for criminals now obviously if there's activity around the house um, there there's less of a target but again the common theme is if you're leaving your home or you're leaving your car lock it and leave the property out of sight from windows and stuff like that in the house. Yeah, and even though you've got to get into a warm, sticky car, it'll cool down quick enough it'll once the, air, the air, air conditioning con- yes. comes on. Okay, fraud reminders. We're always always giving the messages out about fraud yes, and the hope of helping other people. Look, unfortunately, we've had a number of cases there during the week where uh, money was taken from a card that was uh, dealt with. Uh, they had made a transaction online and unfortunately in the case, I can't go into specifics of it, but they gave the, the card number over the phone. Precaution needs to be taken when people are using their cards online and no card number should be given over the phone, number one. And I suppose reputable systems of payment like PayPal should be used at all times when they're when they're purchasing online. Um, I know that even when you're using bank accounts, you can lodge money in or using IBAN and IBAC accounts mm. or numbers. But the common theme and the advice we're giving here is do not give out any account details or any car details over the phone unless you're 100% sure of who you're dealing with. And even at that, I'd be very cautious of it as well. With, and that's my advice in relation to the use of cards online. Yeah, because the, the fraudsters are getting better at this. Every time we alert people to something, they'll change and they'll move to something else. They're clever at what they're doing. Yes, and they're constantly making efforts and um, targeting the vulnerability of people in relation to... I know we spoke in the past there about... Um, fraudulent calls that were coming in from, we'll say, the, the Revenue Office or Irish Water, there were people portraying to be from those offices and looking for bank details and card numbers. Mm. And our advice is, do not give any number to over the phone. If you are seeking, um, if you do get a phone call and they're engaging in this, the simple thing is to say to them that you ring them back at their office and nine times out of ten, those fraudulent calls 
they won't even give you a number. So yeah. it just be very mindful of the fraudulent calls that are being made at the moment. Okay, criminal damage? Criminal damage, we had an incident in Bantry there on the 5th of July last, between the 5th and 6th of July last, actually, at between 10pm and 5pm. Uh, a car in Barrick Street had its window, um, had the wipers pulled off the car, ah. and the wing mirrors kicked off. Isn't uh, that really just divilment? Yes, uh, look, I suppose at the outset... We're hoping that someone will have information in relation to did they hear anyone suspicious. It, again, it probably happened overnight and it probably wasn't um, taken any notice. Maybe a person was working at nights and stuff like that might have come home and seen someone acting suspicious around the area. Um, it may have been kids, maybe with a small bit of boisterous at the evening and we just want any bit of information to contact us in Bantry. Okay, and that was the date again, and that was the 5th of July the sixth. and the 6th of July. Okay, so start of the month. Between the 5th and the 6th. Yes. Okay, gun licence renewal. Yes, another appeal, Patricia. Look, we're just reminding people that the, the renewal notices arrived to people uh, with about six months prior to the, the licence being expired for their um, firearms. So don't leave it till the last minute. Fill out the form, go to your local guard station and get it stamped and we'll get the new licence out to the uh, gun licence holders as soon as possible. Okay, and while you while you mention that, it gives me g- gentle reminders to people, if you go away on holidays, check your passport. I can't believe I had a, a really good friend of mine who's normally <coughs> brings her A-game to everything, was about to go on holidays and check the passports to discover her own passport that oh. was out of date. So just, you know, yep. you don't want that big panic of having to go to Dublin to get a passport uh, issued very quickly. You don't need the stress of that before you're going away. So check your passports, uh, folks. And then just a little bit of beach safety and security advice because there's yes. lots of people heading to the beach. Uh, yes, and in particular over the last number of weeks with the weather being so good, I suppose we just want to, to, to I suppose, participate in beach safety and security advice to the general public going to the beaches. Obviously adhere to the signs where there's um, maybe dangerous waters and to lifeguards in relation to the swimming and uh, activity in the waters. Property at beaches, we're asking people, obviously... When you're going to the beach, I suppose everyone is taking nearly a stereo now when they're taking a mobile phone and they're taking their wallet and the keys of their car. Make sure that they're secure. They're put into a bag. The bag is um, left in, I suppose, inconspicuous way, I suppose, inside in the area where you're on the beach. And we're advising people not to leave your property on its own. People go to the beaches generally in groups of maybe five or six people. Have someone with the property all the time. Um, also, we've had a number of calls there this week in relation to dogs being left in cars while people went to the beach. In particular, last weekend, there was a number of calls came to West Cork Garda stations where people had left animals in the car. I know they might have left the window open, but it was particularly hot last Sunday. So we're asking people, leave the dogs and the, the animals at home. Don't be taken to the beach. And to report any antisocial behaviour, obviously we want everyone to enjoy themselves at the beach. But we also are mindful that there is some elements of there that are going there. Be they would be maybe participating in a bit of drinking, and they get out of hand and get a bit boisterous. And if it does happen, we again want everyone to enjoy themselves safely. Contact us, and we can go and deal with the issue. And I suppose one of the big issues that we have at the moment, Patricia, is the parking at these beaches. We've um, we've had issues in the past, maybe with Garrettstown and um, Inchidani, with people blatantly just abandoning the cars when they go to the beach. It doesn't take that much longer to park it safely out of the way and that they can walk down to the beach. But un- unfortunately, 
if an emergency happens, you're talking about ambulances and fire brigades can't get through in certain areas where cars are just abandoned on both sides of the road. So people, just to be mindful of where you park the car. Yeah, and we've been very lucky sometimes. With the, <laughs> it's been crazy the way people just uh, abandon cars and and you can hear people saying, God, if an ambulance needs to get in. And luckily on that particular day, uh, it didn't. So just be yeah. mindful of it. And it's just, it's one of those things you have to put up with it. If you want to get to the beach, you get a good parking space. You've got to be early. You've got to be early. If you're arriving in the height of the day, then you'll be driving around looking for a parking space. Yeah, so just and at the end of the day, there's no harm in parking it safely and ma- taking that extra five minutes of a walk. And that goes in towns as well. Uh, throughout uh, West Cork and Cork in general that for the summer months there's large volumes of traffic coming down with tourists and stuff and there is no point in parking cars and blocking off the, the movement of traffic number one but most importantly if anything does happen yeah. we need to have the emergency services to be able to get through these routes Yeah, you don't want that in your conscience that's for sure Alright uh, James we leave it there thank you for that and Thank thanks you very for joining much, us Bye bye that is uh, Sergeant James O'Donovan Crime Prevention Officer for Cork West Guard the Station based at, at Bandon Guard the Station 1850 333103 the latest from James Sugru from the Open at Royal Port Rush he is down to where's it gone he's on par now he's on the 17th uh, hole and he is in 28th place he's still doing very well for his first ever round that's for sure get your pet questions into us please go into uh, you can text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 they breathe in Mallow on whatsapp says Fish I couldn't agree more with the earlier comments that somebody made about Dano's super value in Mallow I got the very best information this morning about gluten free products from Rosari I would like to say thank you to Rosari at uh, Dano's Super Value in Mallow thank you for that breather 1850 pet questions please because Jane Pickett our resident vet joins us in the next hour also if you're looking for any advice about infestations of bees and wasps we have a bee expert joining us uh, at about 20 past 12 you keep your pet questions coming in I can see coming coming in for Jane she joins us after half past 12 1850 text whatsapp 086 2103103. I've just had an email in from the Communications Department of Cork County Council and our thanks to them. We contacted them yesterday because we had some calls in from listeners in Clonakilty. Firstly, some people were giving out about the traffic delays with the roadworks that are going on at the moment in Clonakilty. But then we had a couple of calls in from people saying, What in God's name is going on with the roadworks in Clonakilty? Whole sections of the road had been resurfaced and now they're digging it all back up again. You know, why is that happening? And people were jolly annoyed about it with somebody saying, is this not a complete waste of money? Could we look into it? So we got on to the council and we asked them and they came back with the following. The N71 Galans to Lissalam pavement strengthening scheme has been carried out by a contractor and it's been married, managed by the TII. These works, they involve drainage, there's road pavement strengthening, there's road pavement surfacing, new and replacement footpaths, there's public lighting and all of the associated works. Now the works being carried out, the material supplied and the surface finished, finish has to satisfy certain standards. And obviously the standards are to ensure the design life of the road will be achieved and the relative safety and all of that. As part of the project, there are ongoing checks and testing to ensure compliance with the standard. So the sections of surface that has been relayed over the last number of days. So people were right. They were already laid and suddenly they were being dug up again. That was because sections were not compliant when they were checked 
The works are being carried out again at the contractor's expense, so it's not costing the council anything. Today, Thursday, we'll see the completion of works on entrances and links onto the main carriageway, and it's intended to have all major roads completed by this Friday, tomorrow the 19th. And in addition, there has been two breaks on the water main in the carriageway on Convent Hill. These breaks were repaired by Cork County Council Water Service on behalf of Irish Water, so I'm assuming they must have been laying had they laid a surface of the road there and suddenly burst pipe so the road had to be dug up to sort out the burst pipe but that's the reason for it when the inspections were done and the ongoing checks to ensure that everything was compliant and that the right materials were being used and the relevant safety requirements were met weren't happy with it so oh contractor was called back in do that again please so that's the reason for people noticing roads that have been laid being relayed again Japanese knotweed I know this came up yesterday when I was chatting with Peter Dowdell we were at that time of year for the growing of Japanese knotweed and farmers and gardeners are being warned that planting are recklessly allowing Japanese knotweed to spread to another property can result in prosecutions. I don't know if anyone has ever been prosecuted, but we started talking about prosecutions because of Japanese knotweed a couple of years ago on the programme. The warning came as experts are stressing the scale of the national problem posed by this invasive Asian species and it has been underestimated in this country. Japanese knotweed remains a problem in gardens, in ditches, wasteland and woodlands nationwide despite what has been very, very expensive campaigns by councils over recent years to try to eradicate it. It was originally introduced in Ireland by landscape gardeners back in the 1850s. So it's been around for quite a long uh, time. But of course, when it was introduced, its full characteristics were simply not understood. It is such an aggressive plant that once it gets established... It spreads, it'll dominate an entire area and then of course what does that do? It forces out native plant species. It's got extensive root network, that's what makes it exceptionally difficult to remove and of course the roots then can go can go on to cause uh, property damage. Now the National Biodiversity Data Centre stressed that Japanese knotweed is a strictly regulated species. Under Regulation 49.2, any person who plants, disperses, allows or causes it to disperse, spread or otherwise causes to grow Japanese knotweed shall be guilty of an offence. And um, some of the leading botanists in this country are now saying that this issue is in every Irish county. So when we first probably was it about 10 years ago I think when I would have done my very first interview I'd never heard of Japanese knotweed when it first got mentioned at that stage there was just pockets of it now there isn't a part of the country that doesn't have a problem with Japanese knotweed and when you're out and about driving you'll see the councils I mean certainly are trying to do their bit and there will be regular signs you'll go on very few drives where you won't see a sign on the side of the road saying do not cut Japanese knotweed because the worst thing of course that can happen is to actually cut the plant because that's what spreads it and it'll go uh, even further. So the councils are doing are doing their best but it's it's now they're now they're now I think accepting that they have underestimated the problem. And of course it isn't just a problem in Ireland. We know that the it was millions upon millions of pounds was spent in London for the Olympic Games because when they were building the Olympic Stadium in London 
they brought in Japanese knotweed and some kind of topsoil. It, it came in and they had a huge problem with this Japanese knotweed spreading. And of course, they were afraid about the foundations of the Olympic Village and they spent literally millions with millions of pounds spent uh, eradicating it so it's, it's once it gets a hold in an area it certainly isn't cheap to get rid of it some of your thoughts oh before I go to some of the clocks we're still the scrapping the clock changing the time the daylight saving hours is still getting calls in about that Anne Murray where's Anne Murray's text there it is thank you Anne Anne says thank you very much for my tickets to the odd couple last night at the Everyman it is a great show we really enjoyed it I would highly recommend anyone going along to see it says Anne well done and it runs for a full month isn't it because I remember when we were giving away the tickets last week it opened on the 16th of July which was Tuesday of this week and it runs through until the 17th of uh, August a very very funny show by all account and uh, Anne Murray was one of our winners and she really enjoyed herself thank you Anne for taking the time to uh, text us Jane from Ballylicky by text says in 1968 and in 1969 they were the two years that they trialled deciding not to put the clocks back for daylight saving hours I remember going to school in those days and it was bright coming home from school in the evenings yeah so where the point that was made earlier by Donny, one of our listeners saying there would be disaster for rural Ireland because it would be dark in the morning you'd have it dark in the morning but you'd have it brighter in the evening and a lot of people prefer that rather than having it as now brighter in the morning and then darker in the evening and hi Patricia the north of Ireland is British so let them worry about their own time changing they made their bed now, let them lie in it. Also, the GAA should keep out of this and stop sticking their noses in again. There are actually people who don't have anything to do with the GAA getting involved. Fed up with Ireland, says a, a listener. But I'm assuming from that you are very much in favour of scrapping the clock change and getting rid of daylight saving time. Someone else says on the clock change, why should one million people from the six counties dictate our time zone again? Let Britain dictate no way. Well, it's not the people in Northern Ireland because ultimately it isn't the people in Northern Ireland who will make this decision. It's the government in the United Kingdom who will make the decision and it looks like they've already stated that they want to stay with daylight saving hours they want to go against whatever the EU are doing for sure it does look like that that's what they're saying so it isn't the people of Northern Ireland that are making the decision but people's views why should we be following on why should we do just what the United Kingdom are doing we should have our own mind and just the update uh, thank you by the way for those texts on James Sug- Sugru at the Open in Port, Royal Port Rush he's in 33rd place now he's on the 18th hole and he's still on par he's done remarkably well remarkably well this is his first round well done uh, young uh, James on the re- oh, a resident of Fremont Village was also on to us to say motorists and vans are par- parking up on the footpaths in the village it's happening all of the time people walking have to go out onto the road this this resident who contacted us has complained to the local Gardaí but nothing has ever happened about it and wondering are other people affected by that are other people discommoded if you're in and around Fremont Village 
with vans and motorists parking up on the footpath. Do they have no other choice but they have to park on the footpath? I'm wondering what's the reason why are they parking on the footpath? Are the roads too narrow? Is there nowhere else for them to park? Or is it a purely a convenience thing to get people as close as possible to where they want to go? And rather than park a little bit down the road where it would be safer to park, they're parking up on the footpath. I don't know if anybody wants to add you up and say any worth on that. If you're, if you're a regular to Fremont Village, are you backing this resident who says you've got to end up walking out on the footpath out on the road which is a dangerous dangerous thing to do uh, for sure. And on the pension issue and the government policy is that people will be 68 before they'll get their state pension they're raising the pension age it was 65 it went to 66 it's 66 at the moment before you get your state pension it goes to 67 in 2021 and then it goes to 68 Eight in 2028 which is less than 10 years time Ted in Ross Garbury says that the retirement age pre-1970 was 70 it was the Fine Gael and Labour government who brought it down over a four year period. Ted's father actually died in 1968 and as he was 68 when he died he never got a pension. Ah um, that's the, so it was the social welfare actually Ted thought it was 1973 the changes came in but we've checked it out and it's not the Social Welfare Act of 1970 put the retirement age at uh, 65 I didn't realise that it had been 70 before that but um, the so contributory pension was introduced in 1960 oh we've only been paying it since 1960 and at that stage they were paying out a contributory pension which meant the retirement age was 70 so there was a 10 year period right throughout the 60s and up to 1960 there wasn't a contributory pension as that we're saying anyway the retirement age was once upon a time at uh, 70 so that's interesting and with the way the government's going at the moment and the policy that they're introducing we're getting very close to going back to having it at age 70 1850 333 103 lines open The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie Irish Blood Transfusion have got donor clinics going on in Cork Marts in Formoy today 3 to 5 this afternoon and 7 to 9 tonight Social Dancing in the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow that is on this evening. Music by Pat Daly, country DJ before the band and uh, dancing from half past eight until 12 midnight admission, 10 euro. Kildare Community Development are holding their weekly Lotter Draw Walsh's Bar. They've got a jackpot tonight of 2,000 uh, euro. And Margaret Walsh will launch her special centenary hardback limited edition of her book, Sam Maguire. That's happening tomorrow night, Friday, half past seven in Atkins Hall in Dunmanway. And a fundraising concert in aid of Chernobyl Aid Ireland will be held in Crookstown Hall on this Saturday, starting at eight o'clock. Performers include Tim O'Reardon and Natural Gas, Patrick O'Sullivan, Anne-Marie O'Reardon, Martin Cochran and Jennifer Reardon. Admission €10. With proceeds going towards the cost of sending humanitarian aid to Belarus and they hope to send it in September. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia.
Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now recently we've been getting some calls in from listeners having problems in their homes or gardens with bees and our wasps. So we've invited an expert on the programme to help us with advice if you discover a bee's nest or a wasp nest in your house. David Lee is a beekeeper from Kildare in North Cork and uh, David joins me. Good afternoon to you, David. Hello, Patricia. Now, I'm delighted to be with you. Well, you're very welcome uh, to the programme. I'm told you have a hundred beehives. Yes, Patricia, I have a hundred. I have built it up. I, I worked in telecom all my life and when I retired, I kind of built up my numbers bit by bit and I, I'm delighted now to be able to manage the bees and I, I get great satisfaction out of going out and looking after those bees, you know. When when and how did you develop an interest in beekeeping? Well, my father before me kept ah. bees and that's usually what happens and yeah. it's just passed down to us, you know. And are you passing it on in, within your and family? Then, that's what I do now at the moment. I'm chairman of the Narcock Beekeepers IBA branch yeah. and I kind of, that's what I do now. I, I can talk to beekeepers and I kind of encourage people to get into bees because, as you know, bees are becoming very, very scarce throughout the world. I know, I know. We, we, we so have to look after them. I'm very thankful to, to the, the, the county council now and to the tidy towns and all that now because they're doing us a great favour now because they're, they're letting grow the, 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 the grasses grow during April and May to encourage the dandelion and early flowering plants so that pollinators can get a chance to, to build up their stock. Actually, know? I've noticed uh, yeah. for the first year ever when I'm driving around, yes. there are sections of the roadway and there'll be a little sign up saying, you know, pollinations and, yes. and you see all the lovely wildflowers, dandelions, daisies, whatever they are. And I think it actually looks quite pretty. I don't think it, very, they very need good. to be cut. Yeah. Now, we're encouraged as well. Now, there's a lot of companies now and they're providing wild seed, you know, the seed for those wildflower Yeah. They're providing that free and you can, we're encouraging people to plant something like that and let them grow wild, you know. And you do, do you produce and sell your own honey? I produce my own honey, yeah, but right. I, I, I help to most people because there's a lot of people now at the moment and they love to get a hive of bees. Just to see, there's a big phrase out there about save the planet. Yeah. Now, we can do, we're only small, we can do, uh, everybody needs to do a small little bit to help the planet, you know. As and you know, the environment is under fierce pressure at the moment. And if everybody does their own bit. And, every, and if people do that, we're delighted with that. And if people start the little hive, it gives me great encouragement as well because there's a great knowledge to be gathered and it's simple enough it's not that difficult and it's, we, we teach people how to go along and how to manage a hive and even if they don't get honey they're doing great service as a pollinator you see But you'll have people saying David oh I'd be afraid I'd get stung if I had a beehive in my garden Yes that's what people have a fierce fear but I can go out now and show people without wearing gloves and things like that and show people that if you're nice and gentle with the bees they will not t- t- interfere with you Well they're not no. Yeah. And you don't need a lot of space to have a beehive, do you? No, you do don't you? need a, a small garden. We have people inside in the likes of Dublin and they have inside in wild gardens and they're, they're having their little hive of bees there and they're walking away. Uh, you see, some bees get, get very nasty, they get cross, and what we do now is we try to breed quieter bees that you okay. can examine them much easier and they don't sting as much, like, you know. And why are wasps such an issue at this time of year? Wasps are an issue this time of year because food is very scarce and again, they're like all the other species, like they're trying to, wherever they're, they're little hive, they're trying to protect that area around it, you know. And unfortunately, sometimes I get calls from different parts of the country even uh, helping me because wasps, they tend to build, maybe we had a case in Budwin now last year where there was an old age pensioner and he got badly stung because the bees... The wasp just nested right outside his front door. 
Oh, goodness. You know, yeah. and we were able to help him, and he was delighted with that. So there is a fear of that. But a lot of people can distinguish between a wasp and a honeybee. Yeah. You know, they just have to distinguish sometimes. So when they ring me, sometimes I kind of say, are they the Kilkenny colours? And if they have the Kilkenny colours, <laughs> the black and amber, they're nearly wasps, you know? Okay. You know? Yeah, because we will get calls in from people saying, oh, I have a bee's nest. Yes. And then we'll send somebody like your good self out to have a look, and inevitably they'll come back and go, no, they weren't bees, they were wasps. Yes. But of course, bees are protected, the honeybee are protected now, even the, the pest control now, they ring me quite regularly now, you know. But with the wasps, sometimes if they're causing a problem, they can they can get rid of them. But the honeybees are protected even in Europe now at the moment, you know. So what do you, if somebody discovers they have they have a bees, uh, a nest in, in their garden, what is the general advice? Well, it is, if they leave it alone, uh, we'd be quite happy to leave it leave it alone because they die out anywhere towards the end of September. They, they, they don't. If, they, if there's a little area that you can leave alone to them, I'd leave them alone, right? Okay. But if they're causing you a problem now that you're passing quite close to them because they can be quite nasty because some people now can take stings and they, you know, they, they, they might even have to go to the hospital for treatment. You yeah, know, you can the, be allergic to a bee yes, sting. That's yeah, it, that's the problem. Yeah. yeah. So what happens then? You get an expert in, isn't it? So we get an, somebody in there that if there's a wasp if you can clearly identify it, they'll identify it anywhere. And if there's a, you live to the if there's honeybees, they contact me or some other beekeeper in the, in, 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 in the immediate area, like you know. And then would you come and take the bees and put them into your hive? Oh, or yeah, you they're honeybees. I, that's what I do with them. Then I do my level best to save them if I can, and I put them into a hive. And I try to some of those sometimes because we see we have the native dark bee, and they're very, very scarce in Ireland. And if we find one of those, they're a treasure. <laughs> they are a treasure yeah. because they are a very gentle little bee. They don't have, they don't want to sting you at all. You know. Yeah. yeah. The only reason they go to sting you is sometimes if you crush him or something like that, or if you crush it, like you know. But yeah, normally they're, 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 they're defending black. themselves. All native bees are a very, very quiet, very, very quiet bee. You know. And the bumblebee. The bumblebee. Then you see there are there are, there are something like eighteen species of Ozen Island, and the National Biodiversity are delighted to get people to take a photograph. Most people know with their telephone they can take a photograph of the bumblebee. You see. Mm. And they're special. They're, they're some of those species, and they're in danger. So they they can get a, they, they they do a kind of a uh, a nationwide plan, and and they can solve them very very easily with people going along like that. And you can join up very very simply on your ring the national biodiversity, and they will give you kind of a lap for your phone. Yeah, and you can take pictures. You can and take a picture, and it goes straight into them, and they can identify that straight away. And, and that's, that's great as well because they are under threat as well. All those now because. You see, the foraging, uh, the food is getting scarcer and scarcer because, yeah. you see, everybody is, is, is using up. There's no waste ground now like there was long ago. Uh, people would let out bits of ground, let them, let them, let them to, to nature, you know. But now that farming and everything else, it demands a very, very high uh, output from farmers and they're under fierce pressure to produce cheap food, you see. And we have to stop using pesticides. Well, that's the other biggest problem we have now. There's an, uh, a big campaign going worldwide now because um, there's, there's some of those pesticides which are very, very dangerous completely. There's big uh, world um, uh, court cases going on at the moment over those, you know. That's the Monsanto with the Roundup yes, and the all Roundup of that. Yeah, yeah. We talked before Price the Roundup, fish. but Roundup is a thousand times stronger than DDT was, and DDT was banned. You remember that? Long oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. But Roundup is a thousand times stronger yeah. than that. Yeah, and yeah. we have to protect our, our, our bees. I mean, well, this is this this is serious for all of mankind. Well, Einstein said at one time that man it only lasts for four years if the bees disappeared off the earth. You know. Yeah. So, like, we always remember that. So, there's a lot of people out there at the moment, and, and it's very encouraging to see 
see, see people interested in it. And, and you uh, give beekeeping classes, don't you? Oh, I do give yeah. classes, I do that. During the winter now, we kind of bring a group of people together and we take the fear of bees out of them. And then what happens in, I did four of them now in my own place here in Killarney now this year, and I brought people together for four days and they go back home and they repeat what I showed them so that they can, they can, they can manage it. And they, there's someone very confident and I give them my telephone number then they can ring me any yeah, other great. day if yeah. they have a problem. And, and they, would they be producing their own honey then for use oh, in their... Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest thing. That's, 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 that's the great compliment to get in at the end of the season if you get it. And this year now is a fantastic year for honey again. Is it? Is it? And actually we've... And it often comes up in the programme when we're talking about people with hay fever. One of the advice that yes. we're always giving from our nutrition therapist is to get your hands on local, local honey. Local honey, yes. Have you have you seen that work? Have you had people come to you? The world of people will, that's why the same people keep buying the, the local honey from, from beekeepers all the time. Because that's where the pollen, that was made the, by pollen there's from pollen their and area. There's, yeah. and there's different things in it yeah. that, that are unique to your area. Uh, how much honey would you be making out of a uh, hundred? Well, what we recommend is that you get about 50 pounds of honey per hive, I imagine. And they can bring in oh, that, that 50 much? pounds in a matter of three to four days in July when they get the, everything right. Our main honey flow from Ireland in Ireland at the moment is kind of the blackberry now and the clover. The wild clover, I love to see the wild clover. This is a fantastic plant for us, you see. Mm. Because up to that, up to July, the bees are being built up, you see. They use somewhere about 200 pounds of honey to, to build up the hive to 50,000 bees in the year. That's a massive build up. And then and do you say they die off then in the winter? No. You see, no. there's the difference between the wasp and the honeybee. Oh. The honeybee stays in the colony through the winter. Okay. But the wasps, unfortunately, what happens at the end of the season in September was the poor old females that are feeding the, 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 the wasp for the coming year, they're the, the female wasp, and they, they, they can survive on their own then from September. I'd get them in the roof of the house, you know. You'd often open the window in January and this big wasp would fly into you. Yeah. She's actually a female wasp. She starts off from her own the following April. And she'll and she start again. She starts off the size of a golf ball. She builds her little nest and then when she produces a few young and that's why it grows into the size of a football and then you you have 20,000 wasps. Then you have a nest. And the, but the bees, what do the bees do for the winter then? The bees are going to a cluster inside in the hive, you see. Okay. They kind of look at the, the temperature of the hive is 34 degrees and they keep that summer and winter. So that queen is inside. She's nursing, she's, she's, she's the pride of the joy of, of the colony. And she's the only person that can reproduce like. Okay. So th- so she, they, and do you, ha- do you as a beekeeper have to do anything for them in the winter? Not for the winter, but during mm. the summer, no, we have to keep them from swarming. Because if you're, if you're a bad beekeeper and you're swarming, you're causing a lot of problems to the neighbours. Because yeah. as soon as you get a phone call, your bees are in my attic. <laughs> and it's a lot of work to try to get them back and you see long ago it was different because there was a lot of feral colonies but all they got wiped out 15, 20 years ago with this baromite that came into Ireland yeah, it yeah. got rid of all the feral colonies okay. so they're gone so you're the only one now that's recognised as, as, as having bees so they must be yours <laughs> How many beekeepers in Ireland do you reckon? We have three and a half to four thousand beekeepers you in Ireland You said as many as that? Wow Yes Wow and yours is just in your garden, is it? Is I have, no. no. Usually I go around out to places like Black uh, Cray Castle now is, is, is where I my bees. Okay. As Grove. Place, gently places long ago where there's a lot of forage. Usually by the, by the side of a river or something like that where there's a lot of waste ground so that brambles can grow and different wildflowers can grow and that's where you get your, 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 your very good quality honey, like, you know? Okay. Yeah. But your advice to people if you're having a problem with bees 
are wasps. You really need, you can't do it yourself. No, you because when I go to my protective gear on, I have the gloves and I have the veil and I have different things on, but a lot of people go and they think they can pork the nest, you know, and you see, when you pork the, the stuff, but then they, they really come to attack you, like, you know, and lot, you see, the, the, the wasp can sting you about 20 times, you see, and if you get any human body can only take 20 stings. Oh. And that's the problem with the wasp. Wow, I didn't, so. re- didn't realise that, because Anne in Kilbehany uh, says she's wasps trying to get into her attic. Is there anything she can spray on them? You see, you must get at the nest, unfortunately. And the nest is usually, you know, it can be the size of a football. And Do you reckon the nest is in the attic? It's if in she's, the attic. Yeah. And there's only one little hole into it. So spraying up from the outside is no good. You have to get at the, into the nest. And I usually go up in the attic like that there, you know, and you can open the nest and you can spray it off, like, you know. That's one of the ways because they do cause a lot of problems and people want to be very careful, especially with children or with an ice cream because the, the, the wasp will come to the ice cream and unfortunately the child might see it and it might swallow. There was an, a child died in England two years ago because of a, it got stung on the throat with a wasp. Yeah, and the, and the throat closed up. I remember reading about that in the paper. Dennis and Ballinhasic from the Ballinhasic Village Association said they created a wild meadow. She, he said they had a lovely show of flowers. Last Sunday afternoon all the flowers were stolen and they had signs up saying that it was a wild meadow for the bees and it cost them a lot of money. Isn't that shameful? I don't know, but you'll see that people will eventually get educated to that. Yeah, you know? yeah. All these things that take, uh, just unfortunately know that it happened, but these things happen in time, but you know, people don't understand it, and it's only, that's what we do eventually now with, with like, so the National Biodiversity Centre. They put a lot of emphasis on the papers and things like that to let people grow, you know, yeah, let, yeah. let the flowers grow. And someone else is saying many farmers are spraying blackberries at the moment. Why is this necessary? They're a source of food for bees and, and birds. Well, I've never heard them spraying blackberries, no. now, to be honest with it. Because farmers don't usually spray at this time of year. They might spray, the, you know, if they're reseeding earlier in the season like that. But at this time of year, now they're spraying maybe say barley and things like that. Now for for mildew and things like that. But they don't usually spray at this time of year. No, and if anything, they're they're gathering the blackberries at this at this uh, time yeah, yeah. time of the year. All right. So, but you reckon really good? You're going to get a good uh, glut of honey this year. Good. It is once we get up to temperatures 21, 22 degrees and once we get that in July Great. That the bees love and they, they have the big numbers at that stage you see and they can they can, they can really forage a, a good crop of honey and as you know our Irish honey then, and as local honey it's the best you can get Yeah I know I did an interview last year where they were likening it to manuka honey and we know how expensive manuka honey is Yeah well, well you see I won't go into that one because <laughs> that, 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 that's a serious problem that we have with, with the imports of honeys, you know. I know. And, and the price people pay for it is crazy. Well, our honey is equally as good. E- like equally as good. You know, there, was, there was a study out, I think it was from Trinity College, where they were showing that the Irish honey had better properties than the Manuka honey. Well, we just need the, to get the, that message out. We have there now, we get it there in September now, and I do a good bit of that now to the cream honey, and that is far superior to any ivy honey. No, but publicity, as you know, publicity at the moment, for any product you're selling, it sells the product. For some reason or another, the people are kind of allergic to, when, when they see, you know, you, you keep drilling into people eventually, advertising does, but it costs a lot of money. But I can tell you, our Irish honey is far superior. We know it going off to the London Honey Show every year. We, we, we demand nearly the top prices on a yearly basis. Like. Well done. Where do you sell your honey? Somebody wants to know. I sell my honey usually. I have around no market in 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 from I and in Mallow and in Kentuck. And what you have your name on it? I have my name is on it. Oh, you David have Lee. No, oh, your okay. name is on it. Okay, it's you have your name on it. Yeah. Okay. Somebody said. Somebody said. Can I have a number, please, for somebody I can ring? I've bees in a sleeper in Bantir. 
Well, you see, if you when they contact me now, I contact you. If there's a local beekeeper in that area, I contact them then. Perfect. Okay, we'll we'll do that off here. I'll get uh, Bernie no, to so do it. My number. Yes, I will. No I we will indeed. We will indeed. Listen, David, it was a real pleasure talking to you. We'll t- we'll speak again. Thank you very and, much. Uh, thanks and thanks a million to one or three FM. Well, really enjoyed okay. it. Thanks a million. Thank That's you. indeed a lovely gentleman. That is uh, David Lee, a bee expert, and um, uh, with the Irish Beekeepers Association. He's a great man. That is uh, from uh, Kildare and we'll, we'll pass on I'll get Bernie to pass on to that lady or gentleman I don't know from Bantier looking for the number and, uh, and you can give David a call 1850 let's go from bees to animals please other animals if you've got a pet question get it in because uh, Jane Pickett our resident vet joins us in studio after the break 1850 text or whatsapp 0862 Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. And uh, Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket uh, joins me in studio, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Uh, good afternoon to you, Jane. And uh, you're very welcome. And the wrong microphone on. You're very welcome. Uh, you were listening to our beekeeper. Uh, People are really passionate, aren't they, when they get a hobby like that? Oh, absolutely. And it's such an incredible thing. And I think it's it's like like the fellow is saying it's so important for pollination yeah. and just the general ecosystem it's incredible but um, and the amount of honey he produces yeah, yeah I know it's incredible really thinking yeah. about it and doing it on such a scale as well I think but for even for let's say somebody with like say a little bit of land at the back I remember um, we we at home were thinking about doing it at one point or yeah. another and I think I'm quite inspired by that little yeah, that guy well yeah. David was saying like the, the amount of people now that they've done just have one hive in the garden yeah. for the family and yeah. great thing to get the children yeah. involved in absolutely and, and, and it gets them away from that fear of bees yes absolutely and I think really it all helps really in the grand scheme of things and it's such an in- incredible hobby to have um, but it is quite a niche little thing yeah, really it isn't is it indeed. <laughs> okay let's get straight into questions Ted says hi Patricia could you ask Jane what would cause a one-year-old, very large Labrador. It's the Pyrenees. It's a Pyrenees mix mm-hmm. to get frequent stomach upsets and lots of tummy rumbling. You mm. also, every now and again, will see red bits in the bowel movement. Thanking oh. you. Okay. All right. I think, to be honest, there's no simple answer. There are a lot of things that can cause excessive rumbling in the tummy. We, amongst vets, we call it borborygmy. It's a, quite a fun word to say. Um, but apart from that, I think rather than the stomach rumbling being a concern, I would say what you're saying about, let's say, red bits in the feces that are passed, that's quite a concern. Now, sometimes that can be blood. Sometimes it can be maybe little bits of, of gut wall. So not a pleasant thing to find in your okay. back garden, as it were, coming out the back end. I would say, regardless of if your dog is well in himself, um, eating, drinking, happy out otherwise, I would say that regardless of that, these signs would warrant a trip to the vet. Now, it could be something simple, just like a dietary intolerance, something in the food that's not agreeing with him particularly, or it might be something very different. Sometimes we can have, let's say, low-level grumbling chronic bacterial infections within the gut, or maybe the gut wall isn't working quite as well as it should for one reason or another. There are a multitude of things that can cause this problem, but I would say simple things first. Make sure your dog is wormed. Uh, Common things are common and certainly uh, heavy worm burden can cause some gut wall trauma. 
um, and a little bit of a digestive upset. But I think a visit to your vet to logically work through the different possibilities of what might be causing this, certainly before it begins to cause problems and impact upon his quality of life, will be really, really important. Okay, and I'm not going to even ask Melanie where she got this pup from, but uh, Melanie recently uh, they've bought a pup, it's a Bichon Freeze, they've discovered that the dog arrived with fleas. Ah. Advice please on how to get rid of fleas in in, in a pup and is it unusual that you get a pup with fleas? It's it's not unusual if they're not treated for them, let's put it like that. Um, Should they they be? Yeah, Yeah. they should be, they should be. Uh, Particularly if they have any contact with the outdoors or any contact with any pet or person who ventures into the outdoors. Even if they're only going into the back garden, they'll encounter hedgehogs and foxes and lots of exciting things. Hopefully not at this young puppy stage. Um, We'd want them to be supervised at all points, but they will be coming into contact with the wildlife or the remnants of wildlife. So it's really important. Now, fleas in young puppies, depending on what age the young puppy is, there's a few options. If they're a particularly young puppy, your vet might suggest a special flea spray to be put onto the coat. If they're a little bit older, usually let's say 8, 10, 12 weeks and older, you can use either a spot on or a little tablet. Um, And both of those will kill the fleas quite effectively. But my one caveat to that is if you're getting a product, particularly in a young puppy with fleas, be very careful. Either visit your vet or a pharmacist because we're allowed to sell products that are prescription. Um, or licensed so they have a lot of testing done on them to make sure they robustly work Is this the age of the pup you'd worry about so young is it? I'd worry about it in any dog but particularly with the pup I wouldn't be taking any chances with the product I was using because they're they're very small they're like babies they're fragile Mm. Um, be very certain but that goes for a dog of any age but particularly a pup just be really careful Um, Yeah I think But but a Bichon Freeze is the furry little thing isn't it as well Furry little thing I think other things make sure you wash the areas in so if there's a bed that he's been sleeping in since he's arrived take it out put it on a hot wash blast it in the washing machine because you'll need to kill off the eggs and if he was really quite infested if you could see them hopping off him those will probably have hopped off into around your house under the skirting boards into the carpets etc so your vet will need to supply you with another spray that's for the household as well that'll kill off the eggs because we know that they can live up to several months in the environment and rehatch out oh I'm, I'm starting to scratch on the very the minute <laughs> the minute you mentioned fleas and this in I always and I don't know if it's right or wrong I always think at this time of the year because we always seem to get more calls about fleas during the summer. Yeah. Are they more prevalent in the summer than the winter? I know you'll say they're an all year thing. They are an all year thing. I find it very interesting because that is something I hear from a, a lot of the, the clients yeah. that come in through my doors. I wonder if we're watching out for it a little bit more during the summer. Maybe. maybe. Certainly I think it is a little bit more temperate during the summer. The temperatures are warmer. But in this country particularly, we our temperatures are never going to drop low enough that we'll prevent fleas hatching out or we'll kill the eggs. It would have to be pretty much the Arctic before that would happen. Um, so I really think that they're probably there all year round, but maybe we're a little bit more more aware of the risk in the summertime. Okay. Jane in Mallow has 10 cats. God, Jane, you have a busy house. One uh, started sneezing. She got an antibiotic injection for her, but is still sneezing. She's wondering, could anything else be done? And she's now starting to think, could it be hay fever? Hmm. This is an interesting one. Now, it's very difficult, I suppose, in our dog and cat patients to prove that they have something like hay fever okay um, and certainly I would imagine that a similar kind of complex happens in our dog and cat friends very similar to ourselves but it's difficult to say do you do you always sneeze when there's lots of pollen out yeah. it's a very difficult question yeah. to ask a dog yeah. or a cat now 
I would say it's less common than in humans. It's certainly a possibility, but particularly if it's a grumbling, ongoing nasal discharge and a bit of sneezing, then I would suggest it's probably a deeper problem. And like your vet, I think, you know, it's prudent maybe if there is a suspicion of infection um, that will be responsive to antibiotics to give antibiotics. And it sounds like your vet has done that. What I would say is there's lots of other things that can cause sneezing in cats, particularly ones that are unvaccinated. Um, it can sometimes be a virus that can cause that and, and antibiotics wouldn't necessarily hit that hard on the head. You know what I mean? It yeah. wouldn't necessarily cure it. Um, so sometimes it can be several viruses, some that come and go um, over a period of months or years and can become quite troublesome. But particularly in older or middle-aged cats, you can sometimes have causes of sneezing that might be related to an obstruction up the nose, whether that be something they've accidentally snorted in like a grass seed. Which a cat or, can do. Yeah, which they can do. Or whether it be a little, let's say, lump or bump inside the nose that's causing a bit of irritation. So I think a visit back to your vet um, just to let him know that there's ongoing signs and I'm sure he'll work up a, a diagnostic plan for Okay you. and Jane obviously with the 10 cats I'm assuming this is coming from Jane as well wants to know is there a scheme for getting a cat spayed? Mm, in our local area here at the moment not that I'm aware of Okay um, Sometimes there are but there hasn't been for a long time Yeah in, it's, in it's one knowledge. of the charities isn't yeah, it? Yeah I know for, for dogs very occasionally The Dogs um, Trust The Dogs Trust do them yeah. There hasn't been a cat programme in a very long time Yeah which, is, which, which really is a pity isn't it? Yeah it yeah. is I suppose the one thing I would say is to let's say all cat and dog owners regardless um, spaying and neutering is absolutely the responsible choice um, it is a great benefit to both dogs and cats from a health perspective as well as preventing unwanted puppies and kittens and as a country we're overrun with them and many charities most predominantly the ISPCDA do an incredible job in dealing with that burden but we can really help out as responsible pet owners by neutering and spaying our, our, cat, our cats and dogs I think I, I read an incredible figure once that let's say uh, an unspayed cat they for want of another word breed like rabbits they, do, they really yeah. do their fertility potential is incredible and um, I suppose I read a figure once that it was uh, one unspayed cat and her offspring over seven years have the potential to produce like something like 400,000 kittens mm. it's an incredible number and it's something you would never think of so I would I would just really hammer home the idea that if you can get your cat or dog spayed it's really the responsible thing and to do and they can get pregnant so quickly again themselves absolutely it's just absolutely. yeah you, you have to be uh, responsible okay Jane thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us that is uh, Jane Pick- Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket which is part of the uh, Mill Street Veterinary Group and Jane back with us uh, next week now somebody's asked me to wish the very best of luck to everybody taking part in the Arrow Glen Carnival car treasure hunt which is going ahead this evening it starts at the mountain barracks at uh, 7 and it's open to everyone who wants to go along okay so that's tonight at 7 o'clock and I know there's some texts and calls in saying how did James Suguru end up at the open he's finished he is he's finished the 18th I'm sure at this stage he is on par did he finish on par? And he's in 33rd. The last I have in front of me is he's in 33rd and he was on the 18th hole, but that was about a half an hour ago. I'm so I'm assuming he's home on par. Uh, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon. We're back with you tomorrow at 10. Mm-hmm.